I'm Brandon Isle. I'm in the Spory Art Gallery in the Spory Building, and I'm with photographer Daniel George, and he has a new exhibit here that's opening, and it's called Jello Belt. And this is such a fun exhibit with food and photographs, and it's just awesome. Daniel, thanks for joining me here today. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Now, you teach photography at BYU. Yes. Uh, before we get to the exhibit, can you tell me a little bit about your work and how you got to BYU? Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Long, short, we'll do short version. Short version, uh, I studied undergraduate photography here at BYU-Idaho um, Grad School, Savannah College of Art and Design. Uh, I kind of knew I wanted to get into teaching um, just because I enjoy the educational environment, talking about photography, teaching photography. Um, and yeah, ended up after grad school teaching part-time in Georgia for a few years, ended up back here in Idaho as a visiting faculty for three years between 2014 and 2017. And then um, just kind of by, uh, I don't know, divine intervention, luck, whatever we want to call it, um, a job opened up at BYU. I ended up down there and have been there since, not thinking that that would be where I ended up or would end up in my life. Um, I'm from Nebraska and have no real ties to this part of the country, but it, uh, you know, happy to be here. Yeah, what a, what a great blessing to teach yeah. at a CES school and photography of all things. What a cool thing. Uh, how did you first get into photography? Um, I think, I mean, I attribute my um, kind of just path into the creative arts through skateboarding. I think that's, I mean, if I look back, I, I can draw a line from starting skateboarding in middle school to kind of getting into just creative expression, the visual arts through skateboard graphics, magazines, photography, obviously a big part of that, videography. Um, and that kind of just led to this, yeah, interest in visual things and just, um, yeah, like I mentioned, like creative expression. And it wasn't until college that I then started taking art classes and thinking about it in terms of like, you know, could this be a career? Yeah, what can I make of that? Yeah, this uh, yeah field in the creative arts. Yeah, that's so interesting that from skateboarding you would get into yeah. photography. Do, have you done any exhibits or things with skateboarding? Yeah, I've done, there have been a few projects that I've, um, worked on in the past, and I've exhibited some of this work here and there, nothing um, kind of to the scale of a show like this where there's lots of pieces, but um, like for a period of time I photographed DIY skate spots, just the, I mean, because I'm interested, in, you know, with part of the show, some of the work, God to Go West, where it's like photographs of landscape, that is an interest of mine in photography, is just looking at the landscape, how people use it, interpret it, view it, and skateboarding, I mean, skateboarders certainly use the landscape in an interesting way by repurposing places, um, you know, spots for, you know, skateboarding and um, also adapting places like pouring concrete, making ramps. Um, and so I, I, made, I worked on a project where I was kind of looking at that, just this physical manifestation of this creative vision of skateboarders within the landscape. Um, and currently I'm also working on another skateboard related project but it's very much in its infancy not <laughs> yeah. not ready to get out yet that's all right that's so cool well this project this exhibit is uh, jello belt so you have it divided into food 
and landscape. And I wanted to talk about the food first because when you walk into the exhibit, that's what you see first. Uh, on the right, there's a video screen and it shows these jello molds that you've captured in a unique way. Can you tell me about how you made this happen? Yeah, so this project, it's actually in, in sequential order of how I completed the work that's in the gallery. Like the landscape, the black and white photographs are what I was working on first. Um, and then these photographs that you described on screen, that was kind of, um, at the time I was working on those black and white landscape photographs, just a side project, like something I could work on at home, you know, during the winter when I was not trying to travel around to any of these places outdoors, um, which kind of led to this interest in food and um, like faith and culture and the interconnection of all those things. Um, but yeah, these photographs I made by Basically, you know, I, I sourced a bunch of um, Jello recipes from Ward cookbooks that I found at BYU, or not, not BYU, BYU's special collection, the library. They have a bunch of Ward cookbooks. So I went in, kind of found all these Jello recipes, and then, you know, over the course of, I think it was like one winter season and then uh, a hyperactive kind of summer season just to finish and wrap things up, I made probably. 60, between 60 and 70 different Jello recipes, wow. kind of molded them all the same um, so that they would photograph in this typological way. And um, yeah, basically once I made the Jello, I would put on uh, clear, or not clear, opaque, like frosted plexiglass, oh, okay. light it from below so it would give it this kind of glowy look. Yeah, they almost look like planets because yes. they're black, the background is black and they're yeah. just glowing on the screen, it's so cool. Yeah. And that was like when I was thinking about photographing gel. I mean, you could photograph anything in an infinite number of ways. Well, I mean, not infinite, infinite, but you know, there's <laughs> so a, a great, great number of ways that one could photograph Jello. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about just you know visually that being an important component. You know, wanting to like do something eye-catching. Um, I was thinking like, well, how do you photograph like a circle in an interesting way? And <laughs> I thought about, yeah, like astrophotography, like photographs of planets and like celestial bodies and how those are just, I mean, I think that they're really striking just because they're so simple, yet they depict this like world yeah. um, in this very, I mean, it's like we don't see Jupiter or Saturn normally in the ways in which the photographs show us. And so I was trying to think about Jello. You know, I could just photograph on a plate Lighting it a certain way that would look very normal, the way that someone would seat at the table, but you know, with that idea of like you know these celestial bodies in mind, could I make a, you know something visual out of that? Yeah, which does ties into the conceptual component of the project as well. Well, and I was just going to ask you about that, where many of your pieces do directly tie back into not just the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and its members, and really Utah, Wasatch Front area. Yes. Uh, but also the scriptures, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. and so you mentioned celestial bodies. That's yes. that's what these these yeah. look like. Well, that's what I mean. When when thinking about this too, I mean, in in I, I feel like that this maybe stems from my background in skateboarding and maybe thinking a little bit subversively or cheekily, uh -huh. um, and certainly I I try and interject a degree of humor into the work that I make. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, doctrine of creation and how that manifests itself in the kitchen. It's like a person is, you know, in the act of creating something in the kitchen, uh, taking all of these components, 
carrots or pieces of fruit, plus this like powdered gelatin that in the package is all these little grains that are, you know, they're, they're not whole. And it's kind of like mixing them all together in a pot and creating this little, you know, planet looking thing. Yeah, this delicious edible yeah. whatever substance. <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> well, and then, edible, yeah, you use the word edible loosely. <laughs> it depends on the person, right? Yes. Um, if we turn from the, the jello itself on the screen, you walk in and there's that symbology again. Um, we have different funeral potato dishes mm -hmm. and you've named them passion one, two, three, four. Uh, funeral potatoes are kind of a joke in our culture, mm -hmm. but everybody seems to love them. <laughs> yeah. That nostalgia makes it taste good. Yeah, I think every potluck there is <laughs> at least one dish. And every funeral that I've ever gone to has funeral potatoes. So mm -hmm. the name is proper, <laughs> yeah. I think. But why, why do you call it passion? Yeah, so with this, um, yeah, kind of within this body of work called Marrow, I was thinking about, again, it, and it kind of stemmed from what started with that, those jello pieces um, titled, that body of work titled Salad, where I began thinking about just, yeah, how food and faith connect with one another, how food represents more than just what gives us sustenance, kind of makes us who we are, it fuels us. Um, but also kind of what it says in terms of like just our values and belief systems. And so, you know, with this work particularly, like the titles of the pieces, which I had thought a lot about, I wanted to look for and kind of create sorts of connections that I saw. You know, maybe other people might not see it this way, but, you know, with like funeral potatoes, the name, I mean, in the name is funeral, which is indicative of death. Like you mentioned, I mean, yeah, they're served at funerals. Um, and so in thinking about just like, church doctrine surrounding death, surrounding the resurrection, you know, connections with Jesus Christ. I began thinking about depictions of Christ in art history, like paintings of the Passion of Christ, and thinking about ways in which I could make my own sort of passion or homage to the life and death and resurrection of Christ, but you know, through funeral potatoes. Could I envision that through funeral potatoes? Yeah. So if we move from funeral potatoes, uh, you just have several different other types of dishes with macaroni and soups and uh, taco salad, uh, different things, and you've, you've labeled them, these are doctrines. Yeah. And then I want to get back to jello. <laughs> these, these are, I mean, giant poster-sized pictures of beautiful jellos. And these are primary one, two, three, four, and they are primary colors. Can you tell me about the process of making these and, and why, why this features so prominently in the exhibit? The process of uh, boiling water and pouring in lots of gelatin. Well, I will say, so if anyone listening wants to make a large mold of jello and have it hold its shape, uh, the trick that I found out was that you have to add more jello to the recipe than it calls for just so it's a little bit denser yeah. um, or add just clear gelatin if you didn't want to like make it too dark or sugary but you know that's the main appeal I think to jello is the sugar so and, and um, the photographs in here you <laughs> yeah. you made all of this yes yeah so with these pieces yeah talking about process yeah I, you know basically made the jello and with these ones I was thinking I mean they're fairly 
I mean, they're very bright, and that was kind of the idea behind them, and just thinking about, um, and, and these ones early on, like usually when, I, when we're talking about like the funeral potatoes, like the title for that piece, I mean, I, I kind of had an idea early on of what I wanted it to be like, even though the title maybe came a little bit later, but this one I kind of knew early on, this idea of like, you know, primary, like there's a primary song, primary colors, like we call the, you know, the youth, the young kids in the church, the primary. Um, Jello also often associated with Mormon cuisine. It's kind of like a staple of potlucks, you know, maybe in, sometimes in an ironic way, or, you know, it's kind of a tradition of, of potlucks. And so thinking about primary as being this kind of main component of um, that, that, I, that thought process went into this work, but then along the lines of, you know, kind of bright, vibrant, thinking of kind of youth colors, that primary song, the primary colors. Um, and yeah, with, uh, as far as like the visual components of the image, everything is very artificial, which, um, I mean, jello itself is not naturally occurring. <laughs> we don't know why jello is. Industrial <laughs> process, and so they, I wanted to make them, it just felt appropriate for them to be surrounded by plastic and materials that kind of mimicked the, uh, the nature of the product itself. So bridging the food to the landscape yes. is um, a selection of cookbooks. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody has a family cookbook or a ward cookbook or a yes. town cookbook. I know we have multiple in my house, but you mentioned earlier that you got these from the special collections mm -hmm. at BYU. That in and of itself says something about how important cookbooks yeah. are to us as a culture. Can you tell me about this? Oh, and yes. they're on doilies. Yes. <laughs> Relief Society doilies. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, as, you know, kind of tying it in with the jello pictures we were just talking about with all the plastic is, I mean, with the visual components, like everything within the frame, because I was constructing these things, I was thinking about the visual language of certain materials. It's like some of the photographs were made like in church buildings because I wanted the visual language of a wall or a gym or places like where one might encounter these foods. Yeah, the, the accordion. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wall. And so it's like there's a certain visual language where, you know, going in like LDS meeting houses, it's like you see all of these like similarities. There's a certain visual language to the architecture and the materials that are used. Um, and so, you know, with these photographs, you mentioned the kind of doily background that's reminiscent of like the Relief Society. That is actually a tablecloth that I borrowed from a local Relief Society building <laughs> during the, it was during the pandemic, so no one was meeting in the church. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I had seen it at one point, I was like going around the buildings doing something, you know, at a church building, and I saw this tablecloth and my mind just like remembered. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a cool texture material. You don't really see that kind of like handmade sort of tablecloth anymore, but it has a certain like language to it and, and descriptive quality. And so when I was making this work, I thought, you know, I need an interesting background for this, these cookbooks, just so they're not just these kind of boring pictures of books. And, and the visual language of that tablecloth was something that came to my mind. I was like, I need to use that. Yeah. Which actually the underside of it too is the standard kind of brown table that you also find in church buildings. <laughs> yes, in every classroom, um, right? Yeah, these cookbooks actually, I ended up, after working in BYU Special Collections, I mean, there, there's certain restrictions when you photograph things from Special Collections. You have to use like a little plastic, a clear plastic thing that shows like where it's being photographed that says like, you know, the library name and that it's from Special Collections. And um, 
you know, obviously thinking about the aesthetic quality, not wanting to have that, being able to light it really well and actually like have them in the studio space. I ended up going out and buying all these cookbooks myself. So you found these yes. outside of the special Yes. Collections. Wow. Yeah, so I, I put out feelers on Facebook on used bookstore groups asking if like any bookstores in the area had like large quantities of Ward cookbooks. And a guy got back to me and said that he travels around and he comes across tons of them and doesn't really know what to do with them and that he'd you know, collect them for me over you know, a course of a month. And so he went out and came back with a bin of probably around like 80 cookbooks. And he's like, yeah, we kind of cut a deal on how much it would cost for them. And so I'm claiming, even though I haven't done any sort of research as to the truth of this, but I'm claiming that I have the largest private collection of word cookbooks. Yeah, well this is, yeah. you have what, 60 cookbooks on display? Something, how many, did, I can't remember how many we said there were. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> we but, could do the math, but we'll just say a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So you have these cookbooks. Have you used any of the recipes out of these cookbooks for the exhibit? Yes, yeah, all of the recipes of the food pictures in the exhibit are from these specific cookbooks. So um, yeah, when I was, I did a I mean, I kind of work in different ways when I'm working on photo projects where sometimes um, it's like I'll go and like make the work and as I'm making the work, I'm also figuring out a little bit more about what I want to do with it. And it's kind of growing as expanding as I'm like working on it. But this project, I kind of knew ahead of time, did a lot more planning and knew specifically the types of photographs that I wanted to make. Um, so I knew that I wanted to make a, a, a few funeral potato pictures. I knew that I wanted to make, based on a Facebook poll to Relief Society pages in Utah, like the staple dishes that one might find at a ward potluck. And so I knew that I wanted to make like those certain casseroles or certain types of drinks so that there would be a good representation of what a potluck might look like. And once I had that in mind, I went into all these cookbooks to the different sections where I might find those recipes. And I kind of compared recipes in certain books, found the ones that I thought might make a better picture just based on ingredients in terms of like variety. It's like, well, this one uses bacon. This recipe uses like this ingredient or that ingredient and that might look interesting. Um, or say something different than another picture that might be a little bit similar. Um, like I knew that I wanted to have a recipe that had hot dogs in it. I didn't, I don't know why, but I'm just like, in my mind, I'm like, I know that hot dogs like show up at ward potlucks and dishes. And so I wanted to have a casserole with hot dogs in it. Um, so yeah, then I just went through the cookbooks and found those recipes and then determined, okay, this is the one I'm gonna use. This is what I'm gonna use took pictures of them on my phone and then went to the store and bought all the ingredients. So this, these cookbooks kind of bridge the gap between the food and then the landscape. And this is so interesting to have this because when the Latter-day Saints moved west to Utah, Brigham Young sent people to specific places and um, in the exhibit you talk about, it, it's called God to Go West and they did, they went west and then they went to all these places and really renamed a lot of places and named a yeah. lot of places using scripture names and cultural names. And so you've chosen a lot of these as the landscape and kind of this idea of gathering. Can you tell me about some of these places that you've taken pictures of and why they're important? Yeah, yeah, the idea behind the project was to 
Um, and this is, again, a, a broader interest of mine um, in photography, in art, outside of art even, just how names mediate identity. So it's like when we name something, we're applying a certain identity to it. And then when people hear that name, it's like they make certain associations. And so with this work, uh, yeah, I was interested in how, um, and, and this was very much, this body of work was made in response to me moving to Utah. Like I mentioned just briefly earlier, I'm from Nebraska, grew up in Nebraska, moved to the West to go to school and then later to, to work and teach. Um, and so when I moved to Utah initially, I, I was like, you know, trying to figure out like, you know, what do I want to do here? What type of work do I want to make? And I, I was thinking about how, even though I wasn't from Utah, that there was a certain degree of familiarity that I had with it, just being a part of the church and the church in Utah being so predominant, it's affected the social culture in such a profound way that I was familiar with Utah, even though I was an outsider to Utah, which I was intrigued by that. And so I started thinking just about, yeah, the identity of Utah, how it came about, you know, with settlers, Mormon settlers arriving in the mid 1800s, expanding throughout the state, naming places in a very specific way, and how then, you know, outsiders who come in will then interpret those places based on those names that were chosen. And so, you know, places like, you know, an example over there, kind of an easy example is Eden. It's like, you know, naming a place after this idyllic utopia, you know, can it ever live up to those expectations is, is something that I was thinking about. And so, you know, how, yeah, do these names affect the identity of the place and does that have an effect on just contemporary culture? Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And that just just looking at these and the how you're displaying, like uh, Goshen, Utah, it's the town office, yeah. right? Or Kolob Canyons, we see people taking pictures of that. So they're they're gathering to experience. Yeah. Um, you have Deseret, Utah, and of course it's beehives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, I don't know, serendipitous for me at least. I'd never been to Deseret Utah and didn't know what I'd find and I mean with all these places like you mentioned Goshen or Kolob Canyons, I it's my it was my first time to a lot of these places. Most of the places I'd never been there. Um, you know, exceptions might be like Lehigh. I think I'd driven through Lehigh and so I had a sense of you know, Lehigh of what it might look like. But a lot of the other places, it's like kind of first time being there. And so I was thinking about, you know, how do you define a place in a picture or kind of provide a certain characteristics or essence of the place in one photograph? So a person who'd never been there, how they might, just something that kind of, yeah, a single photograph that defines place. And so where I would often start is on like a town's main street being the tip, you know, what a person might consider the, the typical kind of commercial and social center of a city. And so I'd start on main street and kind of drive up and down and look for things. Or maybe I might, you know, do some reconnaissance ahead of time and look on Google Maps just to get an idea of where, what I was getting myself into. And so I kind of go up and down main street and kind of just look for little defining characteristics, at least what I saw in those places that might speak to the culture of the community. So yeah, with Goshen, like the town office, you know, what better place to start than where, yeah, it's kind of like the town center. It's like, this is, you know, where all the business of the town takes place. Or, you know, with Deseret, 
it's a really small town near Delta, Utah. And I'd made a few photographs there and was leaving town and saw this building that said Dutson Honey. And then I was like, well, I have to stop there because the name Deseret refers to bees. And then out back they had, yeah, all these beehives out there. And it, <laughs> that one seemed to be a little on the nose. On the nose, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know. That was pretty awesome. And the, one of the largest photographs of place is Manti, yeah. and, and you show the Manti temple and these empty chairs yeah. before, I'm guessing, set up for the pageant yeah. that's no longer happening, yes. right? Yeah. So this, this is pretty cool to have that saved. Yeah, and that happened in 2018, I think just barely before they announced that they weren't going to be doing the pageants anymore. I didn't know that, obviously. I, I, I was there. I'd actually... Um, I mean, because Manti's near Ephraim, and I have um, Snow College down in Ephraim. I'm friends with the person who runs the photography program down there. And there's a really cool contemporary art gallery, Granary Arts, in Ephraim as well. And so I've, I, I'd been down to Ephraim a couple times for things going on, kind of centered around the arts community there. And, you know, working on this project, I'm like, well, I need to photograph Manti. And so I'd tried, I'd gone back and forth a few times and photographed the temple and nothing really kind of worked. And I just happened to be there for a workshop at Snow College in the summer that happened, I think, the week before the pageant started. So they'd started the setup. And I was like, well, I have to get down there and, you know, kind of see. I'd, I've never been to the Manti pageant, didn't know what the town would be like, how it would transform for that. Again, made a lot of photographs kind of around town of all the different things that popped up for the pageant and then, you know, ended up finding myself on this lawn with all these chairs. And, you know, it, for me at the time, just kind of spoke visually. It's like, yeah, this idea of like gathering of community, that's a defining characteristic of this specific town is this pageant that happens once a year. A lot of people know it for that. And so it seemed to make sense to have a photograph of that because of its, you know, significance to that place. Yeah, a few months later. I can't remember exactly how long it was later, but yeah, there was an, the announcement that it wasn't going on. Maybe my timeline's way off. Maybe I knew about it beforehand, <laughs> but in any case, yeah, it's like kind of this relic now of, of a time, time, gone yeah, time gone by, a pageant that's no longer. So kind of wrapping all of this up, the exhibit, as people come here and experience this, what do you hope they take away with them? Ooh, that's always the tough question. Um, I mean, with all the work that I make, I don't know if there's ever a real, um, you know, because my work's not dealing with social issues and so I'm not trying to like, you know, get the word out on things that are going on or to really promote a change in ways of thinking. For me, it's mostly just, um, I mean, the work that I make, I, I just want people to think about it to a degree and maybe, you know, kind of come away with certain questions of their own or, I mean, one thing that I do with my work, and people will notice as they walk through the gallery, is that you know, a lot of the places that I photograph look kind of ordinary, and the foods also look very ordinary. But I think that there's something profound in the everyday, which is why I'm so intrigued pointing my camera at ordinary things, average things. It's a language that everyone speaks, and they can relate to it in certain ways. And so if people can come in and kind of relate to certain images or identify certain things with certain images, Maybe that happens to varying levels. Uh, if people take time that they'll, I mean, they'll find um, 
deeper layers to the photographs if they look for them, which are certain things that I, I mean, I think about. I think about my photographs very deeply, and so um, there are layers of meaning. And if yeah, people want to take time to examine that, that they'll find those things and maybe additional things as well, which I'm all about. You know, it, a person. Um, kind of applying their interpretation to the images as well and getting what they want out of them. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend they go home and find a recipe from their ward recipe book and, <laughs> and try it out? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they should. Um, yeah, we were kind of discussing before we started recording just the, the ward potluck in general and how it's changing. At least the ward that I live in, whenever we have potlucks, a lot of it is mostly just prepared foods brought from the store yeah. um, just because it's easier. Even though the recipes are relatively easy nowadays you know with time commitments and other things people just prefer to bring bring food that's store-bought so maybe it's a a lost art or a lost performance art in yeah. itself is there a recipe that you enjoyed most making um the the most enjoyable thing to eat out of all the photographs in the gallery were the lion house rolls there you go. Yeah. but my wife made those and i didn't <laughs> so of all the foods in the show, I made all of them except the rolls, and those are the best things to eat. So <laughs> I'd go with the Linehouse rolls. Awesome. Well, Daniel George is a photographer, and the exhibit is called Jello Belt, and it's open for free in the Spory Art Gallery. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you.